0: This is The Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. The Senate, as an institution here in Canada, takes a lot of criticism. Its members are unelected. There are a lot of perks. I mean, you know how that story goes. But we do know that the Red Chamber, or the Chamber of Sober Second Thought, as it's called, is meant to be a place where proposed legislation is discussed, maybe amended, tweaked, and then sent on its way. But in recent times, it seems like it has become or is trying to become more than that, which is why a recent opinion piece in the Globe and Mail newspaper caught our eye. Hugh Siegel wrote that there's some question about what the Senate is up to right now, that whether or not killing a government bill that was part of an election platform that helped elect a majority government is the way for them to go. So we wanted to talk more about this. Hugh Siegel sat in the Senate as an Ontario Conservative between 2000 thousand five and twenty fourteen and is now a principal of Massey College and senior advisor at Airden Burles LLP. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. So let's talk about this legislation. Bill C forty eight, what is it? Yep.
1: So it's a bill that was brought in by the government um, with respect to the regulation of tanker traffic on the coast of your province. And it was brought in based on a promise made by the then leader of the third party, Mr. Trudeau, in Um, BC during the 2015 election campaign where he undertook that if elected his government would bring in a bill to do precisely that. So that's the purpose of the bill. The bill cleared the House of Commons not only with the support of the government but the support of other parties including Miss May of the Greens and the New Democrats. So there was quite a large consensus by the folks who were elected to represent us in the House of Commons that this bill should be made into law. It then came into the Senate, and there was quite an intense lobbying process against it. Uh, Various people from uh, the provinces of Saskatchewan and Alberta, various people from different parts of the oil industry, made a case before a Senate committee that they thought the bill was flawed and should um, either be seriously amended or it should, in fact, not be allowed to proceed. So what happened, it's one of those very interesting things. It doesn't happen very much. There was a committee meeting, and the vote came as to whether the bill should go forward uh, for final debate on third reading in the Senate. And the committee uh, split 6-6, and in the Senate and in the parliamentary system, If um, a bill is tied, if the the movement of the bill on to the next level is tied, the bill is deemed to have died, Right, and that would mean that the committee's report to the Senate would be, and this will come up in a couple of weeks, this bill should not now proceed. Now, the Senate still has the right to not accept that report and make changes to it, but my piece essentially, to me, was about the Senate can make amendments, it can make changes, it can make tweaks, but it doesn't have... Right under the Salisbury Convention, which is how the British House of Lords operates, to stand in the way completely of a bill that was brought in in good faith by the government based on a promise they made and for which they received a majority government in the last election.
0: So then what is going on here, Hugh? Because this is not the first time recently that we've heard of a story like this. We've also been covering the bill that was brought forward by Ronna Ambrose, former Conservative MP that has been stalled in the Senate for 700 days now, twice voted on unanimously in the House of Commons, once again stuck in the Senate. What is going on in the Senate? So I would say there are two dynamics at play.
1: Dynamic one, uh, we now have a majority of senators uh, who have been appointed as independents. They're not appointed as members of the Liberal Party or the Conservative Party. We then have a small Conservative caucus of about 30-odd souls who don't believe in this new approach to the Senate, don't believe that the Senate should be made up of independent people, like the old partisan approach, and their approach has been to stall and delay everything they possibly can so that the Prime Minister is not able to indicate in the next election campaign that I made some promises and we kept them. So they have the right to do that. It's, it's an open, free society. They can express their views. The real issue is, do they have the right to stop a piece of legislation from actually being passed if it's been passed by the House of Commons. And I would argue this has only happened four times since World War II and the notion, therefore, that we would be doing it on bills like this strikes me as an unelected group of people, however well-meaning they may be, taking the authority to say to the democratically elected people in the other house, your views are interesting but they really don't matter. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think it weakens democracy and it will bring the Senate into more disrepute than it already has
0: become. That's what I was thinking, too. There's a lot of Canadians out there who would not be happy to have the Senate behaving in this fashion. So what are the alternatives? How do we, how do you fix that?
1: Well, I think there's two things that have to happen. One are short-term and one are long-term. On this bill, um, I believe that the Senate has a very good chance of not accepting the committee's report, therefore not killing the bill. And then there'll be some debate on some amendments. That would then send the bill back to the House of Commons with a few amendments. Then the House of Commons has the right to either accept them or to reject it and send it back unchanged, at which point the Senate would have, in my view, no authority to stand in the way. But, of course, everything in the world of politics is about time and opportunity. We're only five weeks away from the end of this parliamentary session and um, an election is coming. So that's why you hear the Prime Minister saying that people may have to sit longer hours to get enough of the bills that are important passed. So that's the short-term dynamic. The longer dynamic is about changing the rules of the Parliament of Canada Act, which only gives authority and power to partisan um, officials in the chambers. So if you're the opposition House leader... In the House of Commons, you get staff and support, and you have authority. But if you're an independent in the House of Commons, if you're independent senators in the Senate, you get actually none of that. Hmm. And that requires a change to the Parliament of Canada Act. And we can look at the way in which the House of Lords operates, where the vast majority of members of the House of Lords are not affiliated with any party. They're called crossbenchers. And when governments and oppositions bring in bills or bring in concerns, they have to appeal to the crossbenchers, because they actually have the clout. And I think that would be a step ahead, because it would mean that that ability to have sober second thought, do some tweaking, suggest some changes is enhanced. But the ability to stop something dead in its tracks Uh after the people of Canada voted for it would be not enhanced.
0: This is the unintended consequence then of the whole, like Senate fall over the last few years over the whole Duffy situation is making everybody independent. And this is the end result.
1: Well, I don't know that the two issues are are all that closely related to the Prime Minister's credit. When he was leader of the third party, he said there are no more liberal members in the Senate who are part of my liberal caucus. They're all independents. And then he committed in the election campaign to bringing in another way of appointing senators rather than a prime minister standing in the shower and thinking, oh boy, wouldn't she be a great appointee? Wouldn't he be a great appointee? Now there is this committee, which is like the British system, which clears nominations. People can nominate themselves or be nominated by not-for-profit or other community groups. And then they're assessed in terms of their background, their skill, their capacity to contribute. And then those names are sent forward to the prime minister and under our constitution, based on the Supreme court ruling only he can make a recommendation to the Governor-General. But so far, everybody who's been appointed under this process doesn't come with any political affiliation of any kind.
0: Right. So then, I guess the House of Commons, as you pointed out, the solution is to to recognize that the Senate is a different place now.
1: Well, that's right. And to make sure that the Parliament of Canada Act reflects... Uh, this new structure so that each piece in our bicameral parliamentary system can play their role appropriately, respectful always of the democratic core of our system, people who get elected should have more authority than people who don't get elected. Mm -hmm. But also ensuring that when you bring people from different parts of Canada who have a background in human rights or a background in advertising or a background in constitutional rights or a background in social policy or in agriculture, uh, they are able to make a contribution based on their expertise but not a contribution
0: which is as partisan as it would have been
1: under the previous system.
0: All right, makes sense. Hugh, thank you so much for explaining it to us. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's Hugh Siegel, Principal of Massey College and Senior Advisor at Aird & Burles LLP. But also, of course, you remember him. He worked for former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, and he also sat in the Senate as an Ontario Conservative between 2005 and 2014.